I hope you're doing well. If you're at home, uh, we're really sad, those of us who are here, to not have you in the building. Um, one advantage of being you is that it is so cold in Rehope today, like it's honestly freezing. Uh, and I hope that you're at home with a nice warm cup of coffee and are a lot warmer than me. Um, we are uh, going to be looking at the book of First Peter this, this afternoon. And um, really, as we were kind of praying about today, the sense was just that we all have had a dreadful, hard, tiring year. And it made me think of uh, my wife and Abby and I. Every new year, we sit down together and uh, we start planning. We, we ask things of each other like, what, what did we see God do this year? What are we thankful for? Where could we grow in, in character and hospitality and all these things? And one of the things we talk about is, what are we really excited to see God do this year? And what are the big challenges that are coming? And uh, this week, I just had a glance through our 2020 plans. And they are an absolute barrel of laughs looking back. There's things like travel plans. There's, uh, we're really wanting to lean into having more people over for dinner. Uh, I was hoping to join a football team. There's all these things that just are uh, totally unrealistic looking back. 2020 proved the old saying, right, that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You probably relate to that. You probably had a year really similar to ours. Cancelled plans, unexpected pain, collective grieving. But soon, Abby and I, probably tonight, are going to sit down again and reflect and pray and plan. And the question for us and the question for you as you go into this new year is, where will you place your hope? you place your hope in a vaccine that's to come and a year that's to be better? Or will you place it in the living hope of Jesus? This afternoon, I think God is calling us not to bury our heads in the sand until Easter, but to lift our heads. As I say, we're going to be in the first chapter of First Peter. And First Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a church who are going through all sorts of difficulties. He calls them elect exiles. What he means by that is that they are people living in a world where they're not at home. Now, we might not feel that all the time, but it's true of us as well. For the earliest Christians, the threat of Rome loomed large. Now, the Roman Empire is dead, it's gone, but we have things that scare us. We have threats as well. What's going to happen with covid what about all these new hate crime bills? What about schools? There, there are all these things that worry us. Now listen, praise God, we are not under persecution, but we're not without our trials. And so with that in the background, why don't we dive in together and see how Peter addresses these elect exiles, how he speaks to them in the midst of despair and calls them upwards to hope. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible at home, uh, read along with me. Uh, if not, it should come up on your screen just now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we come to you now and pray you would open our ears and our eyes to the truth of your word. Lord, we pray that uh, wherever we are dotted around Glasgow and beyond, Lord, that we would have an encounter with you through the truth of your word. We pray, God, that you'd come by the power of your spirit into our living rooms uh, or bedrooms or wherever we are, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Peter begins his call to hope with a word of praise, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we have been born again to a living hope. Now, hope's a bit of a cliche word. What is hope? Is hope another word for our dreams? Is hope the things that we wish for in spite of the evidence? Is hope the, the place we want to get to at the end, the, the big desires of our life. Well, I was struck recently by Eugene Peterson's definition. Peterson says that hope and despair are two sides of the same coin. He says that they're both imagination, but hope is imagination about what the future will hold, given over to the realities of faith. Despair is our imagination about the future, given over to lies about the world. And so right off the bat, let's be clear with one another that hope is not a kind of British stoicism where we knuckle down and ride it out. It's not a believing in the best when all the evidence says that nothing good is coming. No, biblical hope is an evidence-based clinging to the realities of faith. And for Christians, the greatest reality is the life, death, and life again of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king who came to us at Christmas, who lived a perfect life, who died in our stead on Good Friday, who rose again on Easter Sunday, who ascended to the right hand of God, and from there poured out his spirit on his people on the day of Pentecost. The reality is that the king is coming again to establish his kingdom, to rule and reign over the earth. The Bible talks about that future hope, not just as something distant in the clouds, but as being real, present, having broken in to our reality now, today. This is what theologians have called the already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. In other words, the king is on the throne but has not yet come to take what is rightfully his. Now, for the, the Christians that Peter's writing to, there is another kingdom, another one who calls himself the king 
that really must have been overwhelming for them. The Roman Empire at this time was an oppressive, huge beast. It spanned continents, and the Christian church had somehow found their way to the top of Rome's most wanted list. Some estimate that more than 400,000 people were put to death in the Colosseum throughout its history. And it is beyond historical doubt that some of those 400,000 were Christians. To these Christians, Rome, Rome seemed eternal and unending and unconquerable. Now, who do you think the earliest Christians would react if they knew that me, a follower of Jesus, could jump on a Ryanair flight, pay 20 quid, and walk among the ruins of the Roman Empire, eating ice cream and taking pictures. The greatest empire of all time, and we holiday in its wake. This is what Psalm 2 is getting at when it says that God sits in the heavens and laughs. He laughs at man's attempts to rule and reign over the earth. The Roman Empire is dead. The Egyptian Empire that enslaved God's people, it's dead. As hard as it is for us to believe, the United Kingdom will not last forever. Scotland is not eternal. Even Glasgow will fall one day. There is only one kingdom that lasts. There's only one king that remains, and it's Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, the only one who is alive forever and reigning forever. So Peter will say this to his people, because of the reality of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, your imagination can be given over to hope. You know that something good is coming. Because of the reality of Jesus' resurrection, he says, we can share in a hope that is not outdated and dead, but that is vibrant and alive and real. Why is that? It's because the source of our hope is alive. The Bible uses the uh, metaphor of the first fruits uh, when it talks about Jesus' resurrection and the hope it gives us. And all that means, uh, if you'll imagine with me, is a kind of farmer looks over his field and he finds himself wondering, how will the harvest be this year? And so he plucks a single grain from the ground. And if the grain is rotten, then he knows he's going to have a bad harvest. But if, if the grain he picks is healthy and full of life, he knows that come harvest time, he's going to have a full crop, a full field of good grain. See, when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he wasn't just proving that he was the real deal. He also rose as the first fruits of his church. That means that when God sees Jesus risen from the dead, full of new life, we know that one day, because we trust him, that we will be raised to new life with him. Because Jesus, the first fruits, is healthy and alive. We know that we will be alive and healthy, raised to new life too. Do you know that that means that the gospel isn't just ancient philosophy? Jesus isn't just a good teacher. 
He's not just an old guy that said some great things. No, the gospel is alive and vibrant and meaningful and is a living hope for us today. The good news about Jesus is that we can be joined with him as he defeats death and darkness. We can be connected to him. I think 2020 has proved that anything else we cling to for hope will let us down. The reason for that is that there is no life in them. Only the living hope of the gospel will stay. Every other hope is like meat lying out in the sun going stale. Gospel has blood coursing through its veins, the blood of Jesus, and it's alive because he is alive. Second reason that Peter calls the church to hope in the midst of despair is that they have a certain inheritance because Jesus is certain. Imagine with me that COVID is over and you're going on a big holiday to New York uh, to celebrate and uh, you're sitting in the middle of a three-seater aisle and on your left is a woman who is really happy, seems really light and easygoing, and you get chatting, and she explains that she is an aeronautical engineer. She is so confident in this plane. It's getting where it needs to go, and she knows it, and she falls asleep, and she doesn't wake up again until you land on American soil. On your right, there's a young guy streaming with sweat, shaking, And you kind of ask him, are you okay? And he says, well, I have a serious fear of flying. He's convinced they're going to die. The whole way there, you just hear him whispering like, God help me, God help me, God help me. He's terrified. Now, here's a question for you. Which of the two passengers, the assured aeronaut or the frantic flyphobe, which one of them gets to New York safely? Both. Of course, it's both. If you're in the plane, you get where the plane is going. The plane, regardless of how I feel, will get me safely to New York. You know, the same is true of Jesus. The same is true of Jesus. The relationship that we primarily need with Jesus isn't just inspiration. Look at him. I want to be just like him. It's not primarily submission. I better do what he says. Now, those are both good and healthy things. We don't want to put those down. But more than anything the Bible says, more than submission, more than inspiration, you need union. You need union with Christ. If you have union with Christ, then you will get where he is going. Sleeping or sobbing, if you're in Christ you will arrive home safely. In other words, if you have the king, you get his kingdom. This is why Peter can say you have a sure and certain and unfading inheritance guarded by God. He knows that it's certain, not because he knows how strong their faith is, but because he knows how strong the object of their faith is. He knows that Jesus himself is certain. The uh, philosopher Dallas Willard writes this, and I, I love this. He says that being in Christ is a perfectly safe place to be. 
Now, he doesn't mean by that that there won't be turbulence. He doesn't mean that outside the walls of the plane there's not low air pressure. does mean that the one who surrounds us has defeated death. He does mean that if I am inside Christ, nothing can get at me because he protects me. Nothing can derail our faith if we are in Jesus. Come hell or high water, come a third strain or a second lockdown, come economic fallout or political tension. Jesus, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's reliable in an unreliable, chaotic world. It means that when you trust Jesus, you can have certainty in the midst of an uncertain world. Here's how J.I. Packer put it. He said, your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. I was uh, struck recently, I was reading about uh, these hunter-gatherer tribes in the uh, Kalahari, I think that's how you pronounce it, region of Africa. And uh, people, anthropologists, think that they are the longest-lasting civilization on earth, that they have just remained where they are, hunting and gathering for thousands of years. And uh, James Sussman, who writes a book about them, he has this brilliant diagnosis of their staying power. He says that, Unlike other peoples, unlike us Westerners, who are always chasing the next thing, always hoping for greener grass on the other side of that mountain, always moving on, he says that the Kalahari tribes had, quote, full trust in the abundant provision of their environment. Full trust in the abundant provision of their environment. And so they stayed where they were. If we want to stay where we are, not be swept back and forward in the chaos of our times. We need the same trust in the abundant provision of God. 2020 was a challenge, but the real challenge now for the church comes. Will we cling to God or will we run off looking for greener pastures, easier God's? and you don't need to search. You don't need to cling on for dear life, feeling like God can't provide. Christ has got you. It means that you can rest in his care. It means that you don't need to exhaust yourself going from hope to hope, trying to find something steady. You can trust him. Now, some of you are at home thinking, Lewis, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. It just doesn't feel real to me anymore. Good. <laughs> you could never do it. You're beginning to realize what's always been true. Christ is doing it for you. Let go, and you will find that it was never you holding on. Jesus has got you firm in his grasp. I can't promise you uh, at the beginning of 2021, that there will be no turbulence. I can't promise you that it's all plain sailing, that the vaccine schedule will be perfect and we'll all be back cuddling and, and laying on hands and all this good stuff by Easter. I can't promise it. I can promise 
that the world is chaotic. I can promise what Jesus said is true. In this world, you will have troubles. There's the reality. We, we don't believe in a fairy land where everything is perfect. We don't, in Christ, avoid the turbulence. Jesus continued, though. He said, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In Christ, we go through the turbulence, safe and covered by the one, the only one who can withstand it. This year, if things get so bad that you feel, I can't even see the hands in front of my face because the darkness is so close. The Bible says that you might not see it, but he is holding on. Whatever life throws our way, we know that our inheritance is certain because Jesus is certain. Peter has more to say than that, and I wish we could spend longer, but <clears throat> that is the core, kind of through the trials, we have a living hope in the living Jesus. We have a certain hope because of the certain Jesus. But Peter will end our passage like this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <clears throat> Peter seems not just to expect that his people are clinging on, surviving. He seems to think that they will be people of joy, people of what Jesus called the abundant life. Now, I know that for some of us, the thought of being people of joy in the midst of this it is just outrageous. We, we feel we're barely clinging on. And I just, I really just want you to hear that what is to come is not a call to be better. Jesus has come and he's been better for you. But if the realities of life are not what we see, but what we know to be true about Jesus and his coming kingdom, if there is hope for us, how do we align ourselves with that reality and live as people of hope and joy and peace? I want to just pause before we finish and, and get a bit more practical. How can we, Glasgow Grace, become a people of joy in the midst of despair? How can we face 2021 head on and come out the other side, not covered in bruises, limping, but flourishing, full of joy and faith. Well, the Sunday school answer is uh, read your Bible and pray every day. And I know that's a cliche, but please don't go stick the kettle on. Uh, give me five minutes to convince you that those two things, read your Bible and pray every day, are the cornerstone practices of the Christian life. Let's start with reading the Bible, what I'm calling marinating in the Word of God. Now, at Glasgow Grace, we love being part of the advance movement, and uh, behind the prayer and encouragement, my favorite part is the food. I have, at one point, had the best barbecue of my life and called it Strengthening Churches. I mean, what a joy. The, uh, the Duffs from Newcastle provided the most exceptional chicken wings. And uh, I don't know their recipe. I don't know how they made them, but I imagine that they were 
marinated overnight in something or other before being grilled. Now compare the Duff's chicken wings to a grilled chicken wing with nothing on it, just slapped on the grill and then some ketchup squirted on it before you eat it. Which one is going to be tastier? It's of course the first one. The reason is that even though the flavors might be the same, the first one has allowed the flavors to get deep. They've gone in. Many of us are used to uh, kind of relating to the Word of God like it's a condiment that we splash on at the end of the day to give our lives some flavor. But if we really want to be shaped by the realities of faith, if we really want our heads to be lifted to hope and joy in this world, then we must go further and let God's Word soak in to our bones. Let it get deeper than just the outer layer. Practically, that means that we need to read the Bible. We're being discipled seven days a week into an alternative vision of reality and fullness. This half an hour sermon will not transform you into the image of Jesus. You've got to let his word saturate your heart over and above the lies that are fed into us every day. It also means that we don't want to treat the Bible as a checkbox, but as a source of life. We want to come to the Bible pen in hand and actually meet with the living Jesus. He said that the Bible was about him and he wasn't lying. Come to the Word of God and meet with Jesus. It means as well that we want to be influenced not just by the 24-hour news cycle, the doom-scrolling of our times that are designed, genuinely designed to stoke up fear and anxiety in us for profit, but we want to be transformed and influenced by the eternal, unchanging, never-ending reality of the Word of God. Now, we have a a read-through plan at Glasgow Grace called Grace Bible Reading uh, to help you with this. We have been trying to produce kind of short videos on YouTube about the big themes of each book as we come across them. And some have been chatting about Grace Bible Reading on WhatsApp groups and that kind of thing. So if you want to dive into the Bible more this year, I really encourage you to start with Grace Bible Reading. It's a great place to begin And um, if you want to get involved with that, just shoot your Grace Community Leader a text uh, just now or this evening, and they will point you in the right direction. Whatever this year is going to hold, we know it will be unpredictable. At the very least, we know that we don't know what is coming. A lot of it will be hard. But the prophet Isaiah said that the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God will stand forever. Believe that and then marinate in his word. Secondly, let's practice the presence of God. I wonder if this is a familiar scenario for you. You've had a great quiet time in the morning. You get in the car to go to work. Someone cuts you off in traffic and peace is gone and rage has come and you're going to be in that state until tomorrow morning when you get back to the Bible. We do this all the time and we don't pray. I, I look at my life and genuinely wonder why 
am I not more connected to the reality of the hope that I have? Why am I so unaware of God so often? The reality, especially today, is that if our relationship with God is just a once a morning quiet time, we will not, we, we will not become people of hope and peace. The alternative then is to practice the presence of God. See, when Jesus died, the, the Bible says that the curtain, this thick curtain in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people, it was split in two. That means that there's no special place, no set time, no special priest that you need to come in to the presence of God. You can come right in. You can be doing dishes, stuck in traffic, playing golf, or in an exam. And wherever you are, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is presently available to you. And if we just choose to lift our heads for just a moment, just to say, God, would you bring me back to hope, then we can be brought back to the reminder that God is in control God is on the throne. Jesus is king, and his kingdom is coming soon. When we do this practice of lifting our eyes to God, we choose not to let the day-to-day whims of our lives define us, but we choose to be defined by God's unchanging goodness, to cling to the reality of our living and certain hope. I love the way that C.S. Lewis speaks about joy and hope. He says this, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. When we pray, specifically when we pray filled with the Spirit, we find ourselves drawing near to the source of joy and hope. We've got to get close to God. I I really hope that 2020 convinced you that attempting to navigate this world without the presence of God is not only dangerous, but just daft. It doesn't work. We need to draw near to Jesus. It was easy before to skate by pretending things were fine. In this season, draw near to him like a fire that provides warmth. You'll find that his joy, peace, and love will flood you as you come to him. Just as we finish, let me say this. There's a, there's a story in the Gospels when uh, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, guys, everyone has abandoned me. The crowds are sick of my teaching. The religious leaders think I'm a sinner. I take it that you're going to leave now too. You can imagine how awkward that moment was. But I love Peter's answer. The same Peter that wrote this letter we've been reading, he says this to Jesus. He says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you almost get the sense reading that, that that was the day that Peter grasped the reality, that this is the one 
Jesus is the one that I can trust. He's the only one worth following. And my prayer for you as you sit at home just now is that you wouldn't hear Peter's words as the kind of pious doctrine of a religious teacher in an ivory tower. But you would hear his words as one who has been there and done it through the pain. As one who went all the way to being crucified upside down because he was so convinced of how worthy his Savior was. Peter knew it better than anyone because he had been through it. Jesus will not abandon you. Jesus is alive, and so our hope is alive. Jesus is certain, and so our inheritance is certain. This year, let's trust him. Let me pray for us before Andy and Jen come and lead us in worship again. Father, we we praise you for Jesus. We praise you for Jesus, who is the king of heaven, who has come to us, who died in our place, and who, because he rose to new life, has brought us into new life as well. God, I just pray that you'd fill us this year, not with an anxious uh, toing and froing, not with a clinging on for dear life, but with a steady, sure hope. Because, Lord, we know that the kingdom of God lasts. We, we know that whatever it looks like, that what you have said is true, that your kingdom reigns, and that Jesus is coming again to bring us home. Lord, would you fill us with that hope? I just pray now as we sing, Lord, that we, we wouldn't kind of switch off and think about what's next, Lord, but that you would fill us with the Spirit of God, Lord, that we would be brought into your presence, the, the source of all hope and joy and peace, Lord, and that your love would rub off onto us this afternoon. We love you, Lord. We pray for us this year that whatever comes, you would stick with Jesus. That's all we want, Lord. We just want more of him.